Whether we realize it or not, we are all involved in a spiritual war. Thankfully, God has not left us to our own strategies or abilities. Welcome to the Radical with David Platt podcast, the latest sermons from teacher, author, and pastor David Platt delivered weekly. As always, you can find thousands of more free resources over at Radical.net. On today's new sermon from 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, David Platt exhorts us to trust in the truths of who Christ is and what he has accomplished for our salvation as we engage in spiritual battle. By the power of God, our victory is assured. Here's David Platt with a sermon titled, Waging Spiritual War, from 1 John chapter 4. We got a lot of ground to cover today, and the reason I have you in two places is because I want to set up what we're about to read in 1 John 4. And hopefully you have notes uh, both here and at other campuses and bulletin you received when you came in on the back of that bulletin that you can follow along with if you'd like. So I just want to jump right into the first truth that's in those notes that I want you to see and hear from God's word today. So here it is, number one. There is a spiritual world all around us. There is a spiritual world all around us. So I happen to be in 2 Kings in my personal Bible reading right now, and I want to show you a story there in chapter 6. So the story is about Elisha, who was a prophet of God, meaning he spoke on behalf of God, and he's described in this story as the man of God. So pick up with me in verse 8. This is a great story. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8. Once, when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, at such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God, that's Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel, beware that you do not pass this place for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. So follow us, the king of Syria would, would make plans in his war with Israel. Then God would reveal those plans to Elisha and Elisha would tell the king of Israel. Kind of unfair, right? (laughs) Naturally, this did not make the king of Syria very happy. So verse 11 says, the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, will you not show me who who of us is for the king of Israel? In other words, who's the traitor here? And one of his servants said, none, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So king's advisors are like, it's not us, it's Elijah. So the king says, verse 13, go and see where he is that I may send and seize him. It was told him, behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent there horses and chariots and a great army. And they came by night and surrounded the city where Elisha was. Now listen to what happens. Verse 15, when the servant of the man of God, so Elisha's servant, rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? So the servant's panicking here, wakes up Elisha. What are we going to do? There's a whole army surrounding us. Elisha says, verse 16, do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now pause there for a second. Elisha said, don't worry. There's more of us than them. But get the picture. There's two guys in the house here, Elisha and his servant. There's a great army with horses and chariots out there. So if you're Elisha's servant, you're thinking, the old guy has lost his mind. Like he may be a prophet, but he's no mathematician. There's two of us and a whole lot more of them. 
But listen to what happens. Verse 17. Elisha prayed and said, Oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So follow this. Elisha prays that God would open a servant's eyes to see the spiritual army, horses and chariots of fire surrounding them. And in that moment, the servant sees. He gets a glimpse of the unseen world. And it totally changes his perspective. He realizes that the army of Syria is indeed outnumbered. Not physically, but spiritually. So in that moment, for the servant, the invisible became visible. And everything changed. Listen to what happened. When the Syrians came down against him, verse 18 says, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, this is not the way. This is not the city. Follow me and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. What happens in the rest of the story is Elisha leads the Syrian army straight to the king of Israel where all of them are immediately captured. So here's the point. And here's why I want to share that story from the start today. Ladies and gentlemen, there is a lot going on around us that we do not see. There is a spiritual, invisible world around us that is just as real as the visible world. Yet it is far more powerful. So the Bible teaches there are vast numbers of angels, both good and bad, spirits that exist all around us. There are glorious beings right now that would take our breath away if we saw them. And there are evil beings that would horrify us right now if we could see them. And to most of our minds, that sounds crazy. Like we live in a rationalistic, naturalistic Western mindset that explains everything by what we can see. Science, technology, to say you believe in the existence of angels and demons, spirits, is like saying you believe in dragons and elves. In our worldview, if you can't see it, touch it, taste it, smell it, hear it, it doesn't exist. I mean, seriously, how can you believe a a supernatural spiritual God controls thunder and lightning when meteorologists can use satellite pictures and computers to predict storms a week before they even happen? How can you say there's a spiritual tempter engaging our wills in a battle of good and evil when we all know it's the configurations of our DNA or our family history that lead us down certain paths? Our worldview has deadened us to the reality of the spiritual world. We see spiritual explanations of anything as total religious fancy. Think about C.S. Lewis' classic screw tape letters, this dialogue between an older demon and a, a younger demon about how to tempt people. And at one point, the older demon says to the younger Wormwood, I do not think you will have much difficulty in keeping the patient in the dark. The fact that devils are predominantly comic figures in the modern imagination will help you. If any faint suspicion of your existence begins to arise in his mind, suggest to him a picture of something in red tights and persuade him that since he cannot believe in that, he therefore cannot believe in you. 
So we usually think about spiritual explanations of events as crazy or at least, the very least, uncommon, kind of weird. So maybe there's some spiritual stuff happening in seances or Ouija boards or tarot cards and maybe in some remote, less developed parts of the world, but not everyday middle-class American life, which is kind of the point. Because there are many places in the world where I would not have to do a setup like this for 1 John 4 because they know there's a spiritual world around us. And sadly, many missionaries from the West have gone to places like that in the world and tried to convince them otherwise. Leslie Newbigin said that Christian missionaries have been one of the most secularizing forces in the world. We've gone into third world context and taught people, oh, the crops growing, that has nothing to do with the spiritual. That's just science. We got fertilizer and fungicides and pesticides and hybrid seed and we show them that spirituality has nothing to do with agriculture. It's only science. And to be clear, it's not that science isn't involved. It obviously is. But what we should have said is this is a supernaturally God-created, God-sustained world and God has enabled us to learn how to put the right things together in accordance with how he has created them. And when we do this, supernatural God gives us good crops. Science is our natural observation of the way a supernatural God has made the world. And all of this scientific ordered order is maintained by his great sustaining power. The fruit we see in science is ultimately the work of almighty God. But... That's not how we think. Like we, don't, we don't see the spiritual realities that oversee and undergird and infiltrate everything, which is what the Bible teaches from beginning to end. Think from the very beginning, Genesis chapter three, spiritual temptation led to physically eating a piece of fruit. Think the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Matthew chapter four, he's led by the Holy Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Revelation, the last book in the Bible, is a clear spiritual picture of physical reality. This is all over the Bible, cover to cover, which means, catch this, if you don't believe in the invisible spiritual world, then you are rejecting the Bible. And not just the Bible, you're rejecting Jesus himself. Jesus believed in angels, demons. His very conception was announced by an angel, as was his birth. I just mentioned he was tempted by the devil. He was served by angels after his temptation. He could have appealed to legions of angels at the cross. Angels were present at his tomb after he rose from the grave. They were present when he ascended into heaven. To ignore or disbelieve the spiritual world is to ignore or disbelieve Jesus himself. And here's the danger. I think most of us, even as followers of Jesus who believe the Bible, and I'll just speak for this context, here in Metro Washington, D.C., most of us don't really think much about the spiritual world around us. Let me prove it to you. Imagine you're in a conversation with somebody that starts to lead to an argument and you start to lose control of your emotions. Suddenly, a significant person whom you greatly respect walks up. Do you change your demeanor? Likely so. So the question I would ask is, why didn't you change your demeanor in light of the fact that the Holy Spirit of God was right there in that conversation? Here's why. Because the physical is far more real to us than the spiritual. You think about what's happening right now. Here and in other campuses around Washington, this is not just a book. We're not gathering right now just to read a book. This is the voice of God speaking to us. Like right now, the one 
true supernatural God is saying to you and me that there is a spiritual world all around us. Which means, so keep going here, this is the second thing in your notes. We're all involved in a spiritual war all the time. We're all involved in a spiritual war all the time. Ephesians 6 in the Bible could not be any clearer. Verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And this, this is where we need to see the all-encompassing nature of spiritual warfare. It touches every area of our lives, our marriages, our families, our relationships, our church, our work, our neighborhoods, our communities, our city. There's no part of our lives or this world over which the adversary does not want to influence, influence us. We need to see the conflict between the true God over this world and the false God in this world. It's raging every single day in how we spend our time, how we use our money, what we look at on our phones, how we raise our kids, the tone of voice we use with our spouse, what we do when we think no one else is watching. Every single aspect of our lives at every moment. There is a little G God in this world set up against the capital G God over this world and the little G God in this world, hear this, wants to wreck your marriage wants to wreck your kids, destroy your relationships, steal your purity, compromise your integrity, and at all costs prevent you and me from spreading the good news of eternal life to those who are on a road that leads to eternal death. We are all involved in spiritual war all the time. You just think about the way the Bible talks about our lives as a constant struggle against sin, Hebrews 12, 4. A war within our souls, 1 Peter 2, 11, where we're contending for the faith, Jude 3. Struggling for the gospel, Philippians 1, 30. Fighting the fight of faith, 1 Timothy 6, 12. 2 Timothy 4, 7. This is just a sampling of how the Bible describes our everyday lives. We sometimes think that spiritual warfare happens when there's something out of the ordinary going on, when the reality is your involvement in this spiritual war began the day you were born. You cannot ignore this war. The Bible doesn't say ignore the devil and he will flee from you. It says resist the devil and he will flee from you. You try to avoid this war, you sit back in a lazy, lackadaisical comfortable cultural Christianity, pretending like there is no struggle to be had or war to be fought, then you will not stand. You will waver, you will falter and fall because our enemy, so this is the third truth, our enemy in this spiritual war is strong. And this is where I wanna jump into John chapter four. So with that background, with that background, hear the next part of First John. And as you do, you're gonna notice how John assumes what we just saw. He assumes a spiritual world and spiritual war at work around him and Christians he's writing to. So listen to 1 John chapter four, verse one. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. 
Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Did you hear that? The Bible's talking about spirits that are not from God. The spirit of the Antichrist set up against Christ. The spirit of error in the world. The Bible says the same thing in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Now the spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Don't miss this. God is telling us in his word right now that there are spirits that come from him and there are spirits that come from the devil and that those that come from the devil are many. So our enemy in this spiritual war, follow this, is pervasive. He's pervasive. You hear the language. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. Not a few random outliers here and there, but many. They're everywhere. I would say that without question, the overwhelming majority of spiritual teachers in the world are false teachers. Without question, the majority, overwhelming majority of spiritual teachers in the world are false teachers. And I'm not just talking about non-Christian teachers. I would include many professing Christian teachers in that category of false teachers. Because our enemy is not just pervasive, he is deceptive. He does not appear with red tights and a pitchfork in hand, announcing himself as the deceiver. That's not how the devil tempts us. He comes in much more attractive ways than that. Think Genesis 3. When they saw that the tree was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes that the tree was desired to make one wise. They took and ate. There are all kinds of things, ideas that look good in this world that will steal you away from God. Which is why the Old Testament is filled with stories of false prophets. New Testament filled with warnings against them. Jesus said, beware of false prophets, false teachers. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves, Matthew 7, 15. Paul warns of being, against being tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, Ephesians 4, 14. Ephesians 5, 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. Do not be deceived, Galatians 6, 7, James 1, 16. Paul tells pastors in the church, Acts 20, 29, and 30, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves. So from among you as pastors will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. We have entire books in the Bible, like 1 John, 2 John, 2 Peter, written for this purpose. Our enemy in this spiritual war is strong. He's pervasive, he is deceptive, and oh, just a side note here, one of the things that's so frustrating about the way the enemy works is, well, he, he works to keep many of us from even acknowledging the spiritual, which we've talked about, but then when we do acknowledge the spiritual, the enemy tempts us to think and speak and act in all kinds of of weird ways about the spiritual. C.S. Lewis said it best. 
He said, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve, disbelieve their existence, which we've talked about. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or magician with the same delight. So one, we can be tempted to ignore the spiritual, live functionally, materialistic, naturalistic lives, or two, we can be tempted to go way out of whack in the way we think about the spiritual. Just to put it on the table, there is all kinds of fiction, superstition, fantasy, nonsense, nuttiness, and totally false teaching that is thriving in the church today under the guise of spiritual warfare. There's some crazy stuff out there that claims to be biblical, focused on the spiritual. David Pallison wrote a great book on counseling as it relates to spiritual warfare. And he described how some people see a demon behind every bush. Cynthia, a woman I counseled, he wrote, once cast demons out of her toaster when it failed to work. Some of you are laughing because you did that this morning. More seriously, he said, she and her husband, Andrew, had a remarkable and remarkably destructive way of arguing with each other. For the first five minutes, they warmed up with normal person-to-person bickering, but at a certain point when the fighting turned nasty, they shifted gears and wheeled in heavier artillery. They would bind, rebuke, and attempt to cast out demons of anger, pride, and self-righteousness from each other. In Cynthia's words, I saw the demon looking out of his eyes, glittering and murderous. So I said, demon of anger, I bind your power in Jesus' name. Then I claim the power of Jesus' blood as my cover from all demonic assault coming through my husband. The result... Not only did Cynthia and Andrew reinforce their hostility, they trampled the name of Christ through the mud of their superstition, hostility, fear, and confusion. Needless to say, the real devil, who aims to dishonor God and conform us to his evil ways, could only be pleased at the personal and interpersonal wreckage he brought about in this situation. Oh, there's so much more we can go into along these lines. We don't have time today, but I I even think about just people praying and saying, devil, we bind you in this way or that way, and I think we're... Where is that in the Bible? I mean, we don't pray to the devil. We pray to God. That's what Paul says at the end of Ephesians 6. In light of spiritual warfare, pray in the spirit of God on all occasions, all the time. So this is just one example of many. Beware deception, even as we think about spiritual warfare. Now, all of this can cause us almost some frustration to say, well, how do we know what's right and true and good then? And that question leads to the fourth truth. And it's the main point of 1 John 4, 1 through 6. So our enemy in this spiritual war is strong, but our weapons in this spiritual war are stronger. They're stronger. So the whole point of 1 John 4, 1 through 6 is to make clear that we don't have to be confused here. We don't have to be deceived And ultimately, we will not be defeated spiritually if we do these two things. Are you ready? This is the key. 1 John 4, 1 through 6 teaches us our enemy in the spiritual war is strong. Our weapons in the spiritual war are stronger. So number one, we test. So test. We test. That's the clear command God gives us in verse one. There are spirits from God and spirits from this world. And we need to know which is which. So we test. It's a word in the original language of the New Testament used to describe uh, determining the purity of a metal, examine something to find out its quality and its origin specifically. Where does it come from? From God or not? The Bible is saying, do not believe every spirit. Test everything you hear. Everything you hear. Including what I'm saying right now. 
So some of you thought, when I said earlier, the overwhelming majority of spiritual teachers in the world are false teachers, including many who profess to be Christian teachers. Some of you thought, well, who are you to say that? And the answer is, I am nobody. The Bible is telling you to test everything I say. Examine everything I say. God is telling you to test me and every other pastor you hear, every Christian or non-Christian book you ever read, every conference you ever attend, test it all because everything you're hearing is either from God or from the devil. And it's critical for you to determine which, especially in the church. That's why Paul tells Timothy, preach the word. And then he says, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. This is so dangerous. We are all prone to listen to what we want to hear, to turn a deaf ear to that which we don't, to listen to what suits our preferences and our passions and our lifestyles and our loves in such a way that we will turn a deaf ear to the truth. I was reading 1 Kings this last week about King Ahab surrounding himself with lying prophets who would tell him what he wanted to hear even when it would lead to his death. And I thought, Is this not what we've done in our church culture today? We have sought out teachers who will tell us what we want to hear, who will make us feel fine about idolatry to money, sex, comfort, safety, all the while calling it Christianity when it does not square with the word of God and the teachings of Jesus himself. I'm pleading with you. More importantly, God is saying to you, test everything you hear and everything you think. Everything you think. So this is where I want to pull in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, one of the most quoted verses on spiritual warfare, yet most misinterpreted. So the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And many people stop there and start talking about spiritual strongholds, how we can take them down in this way or that way. All kinds of crazy talk that leaves this text behind because the next verse says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Did you hear that? Where does spiritual warfare happen? It happens in our minds where arguments are made, opinions are raised against the word of God. So how do we fight spiritual warfare? By taking every thought captive to obey Christ. This is spiritual warfare, examining our thoughts, everything we think. Like just, just think practically. I was having a conversation with somebody this last week and they were, they were saying, they're just feeling beat down in their sin, saying, I don't think God loves me. I don't think God will forgive me for my sin. And I stopped and I said, wait a minute. I want you to take that thought and just ask a question. Is that from God? Where has God said that he does not love you? Where has God said that he will not forgive your sin? That's not from God. That, that's from the devil. So don't believe it. Oh, that's spiritual warfare. And it's happening all the time in all all of our lives in all kinds of ways. You think about it, just sin. When Adam and Eve sinned in Genesis 3, their sin started way before biting into a piece of fruit. They thought, maybe God isn't right. 
maybe this tree is good. Maybe I know better than God. That's, that's where the battle was lost. So spiritual warfare is a testing of everything we hear, everything we think, asking, is this from God? Which leads to the question, well, how do you know what's from God and what's not? That leads to the second word here, trust. So test and trust, test and trust. And specifically in 1 John 4, we're pointed to the exact same place 2 Corinthians 10, 4 pointed us to, Jesus. Trust in the truth about God's son. Trust in the truth about God's son. 1 John 4, 2, by this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This was the primary problem John was addressing in the first century because you had people teaching false things about Jesus. And well, brothers and sisters, 2,000 years later, the same problem exists. In generation after generation, Satan seeks to twist and distort people's understanding of Jesus. And if we do not have a right understanding of Jesus, then we will not have a right understanding of life and the world around us. Not just the Christian life, but life. So I want to make a bold statement, but I will make it without reservation. Everything in your life, now and forever, hinges on how you view Jesus. Everything in your life, every detail of your life, now and for all of eternity, today, this week, and forever, hinges on how you view Jesus. Your life, your marriage, your parenting, your teenage years, your school, your dating, your work, your spending, your relationships, your emotions, your thoughts, your plans, your dreams, everything in your life hinges on having a right view of Jesus. It hinges on believing that he is fully human, that he has come in the flesh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 2, which some in the first century were denying, saying that Jesus didn't have a real human body, not really like us. Jesus is fully human and he is fully God, that Jesus is the Christ, verse 2, the Messiah, God in the flesh. Now, if I could just pause here and acknowledge multitudes of spiritual teachers who teach the exact opposite of this. In Islam, for example, Muslims completely deny that Jesus is God in the flesh. I have had countless conversations here in D.C. and around the world with Muslims who will all tell me they have been taught that Jesus is a prophet, but he is not God. That is false teaching about Jesus. But it's not just Islam. It's many who claim to be Christian, specifically Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses. Jehovah's Witnesses officially teach that Jesus was created as the archangel Michael before the world existed. That Jesus is a created man and a lesser God who never physically rose from the dead and has already come back invisibly to the world in 1914. Mormons officially teach that Jesus was the firstborn spirit child of the heavenly father and a heavenly mother. As such, Jesus is a secondary God under God the Father. 
He didn't possess deity in himself, but he progressed to deity in the spirit world in a similar way that you and I can also become gods by keeping particular Mormon rituals. Millions, actually billions of people who believe false teaching about Jesus, many of whom are giving their lives far more zealously than we are to spread it. I know it is not politically correct to say these things, but how else are we to understand what God is saying in his word? These teachings about Jesus are not from God. They're from a spirit who is against Christ. Trust the truth about Jesus. He is fully human, fully God. He alone is able to save us from our sins What we've seen over and over again in 1 John, namely chapter two, verse two, he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. So to believe in Jesus is to trust in him alone to save us from our sins. So this is where the Bible speaks against any religious system that says we can in any way earn our way to heaven. Such teaching is not from God, including Official teaching from the Catholic Church that says our works contribute to our justification before God. I hesitate to even mention this here because we don't have more time to dive into it. I did a whole section on this. It's something called Secret Church earlier this year. You can find resources there at secretchurch.org. But any religious teaching that says Jesus' death on the cross alone is not sufficient to cover over our sins is not from God. Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith and not from your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Our works are evidence of our justification before God. They are not the cause of it. Jesus alone is able to save us from our sins. And he alone rules as Lord of our lives, which is the whole point of 1 John. Jesus doesn't just cleanse us of sin, he changes our lives such that we begin to walk as he walked. We love like he loves. We laid out our lives in love for others, what we saw last week. So come back to the statement earlier. Everything in your life now and forever hinges on how you view Jesus. If you do not believe Jesus is fully human and fully God, you are banking your life on false teaching and you are on a road that leads to eternal separation from God. If you do not believe Jesus alone is able to save you from your sin, his death alone can cover over your sin, then you will spend your life trying to earn the favor of God, never able to do so. You will never have the certainty of eternal life because you have made it dependent upon you in your sinfulness instead of Jesus in his righteousness. And if you do not believe that Jesus alone rules as Lord over your life, then you will date and do marriage the way you want parenting the way you want, school and work the way you want. You will spend your money, live your life the way you want, and you will miss the wonder and the joy and the love of a life completely submitted to the lordship of Jesus. Everything in your life today and forever hinges on how you view Jesus. Is he just a man to you? Is he just a distant God to you? Is he just a get out of hell free pass so you can know you're okay in heaven while you live for yourself on earth? Or is he the Lord of your life? And the answer to that question changes everything about your life, now and forever. And God is saying in his word right now, trust in the truth about my son. Test everything you hear, everything you think. Make sure it aligns with the truth about who Jesus is. 
and trust in the power of God's spirit. So this is where John says in verse four, little children, speaking here to Christians, to followers of Jesus who put their trust in the truth about Jesus, he says, you are from God and have overcome them for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The word greater there literally means stronger. So see this Christian follower of Jesus in this spiritual war that you and I are a part of, the very spirit of God is living inside of you. That's, that's where John left off in the last chapter, chapter three, verse 24. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit, by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. So you might wonder, how do I know if I have the spirit of God in me? And the answer is what we just talked about. Do you believe in Jesus as fully God, fully man, the only savior of your sin and the Lord of your life? If you do, that belief didn't come from the world. That came from God, his spirit, his spirit at work in you. His spirit's the one who opened your eyes to that reality. So in this spiritual war, you can trust in the power of God's spirit in you right now. You are not powerless. You have the power of the spirit of God in you. So trust in the truth about God's son and the power of God's spirit and then trust in the word God has spoken. So in the last two verses here, John compares these false teachers with the true teachers, those who are speaking the word of God. Most biblical scholars believe that when John writes we at the beginning of verse six, he's referring to himself and other apostolic eyewitnesses to Jesus given by God to give us his word. And this is huge. So how do we test the spirits? Everything we hear, everything we think, how do we test and and trust in the truth of Jesus, the power of God's spirit in us? By the word he's spoken to us. So we have before us 66 books which make up the Bible, the word of God. And did a whole six hours of teaching one night uh, in a secret church on, on how we know the Bible is the word of God. So we test everything by this book, everything. If I am not saying what is in this book, then do not believe what I am saying. And if I am saying what's in this book, don't believe it because I said it. Believe it because it's in this book. Test everything you hear, everything you think by this book with trust in this book. This this is another area we could spend a ton of time and maybe we'll one day because there's a lot of talk today about desiring additional words from God that go beyond what God has said in his word. People saying, I have a word from God for you or word from God for this situation, that situation. Or people saying, I just want a word from God for this or that. There's entire movements in the church today built on how you can hear words from God like this, how you can speak words from God like this to others. While there's some good here, like we we want to apply God's word to our lives, see how it relates to specific situations, encourage others, and God helps us in all kinds of ways along these lines. So brothers and sisters, this word is sufficient. We do not need a movement to try to figure out more words from God as if he has not given us enough. We need to trust and obey the words we already have. We do not put our trust in supposed words from God that others might have. We put all our trust in the word of God that we have. What is is Paul saying in Ephesians chapter six is our weapon in spiritual warfare. Not the fallible impressions or senses of man, but the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And let us not forget that cults and false teachings all come 
from people who claim to have additional words from God. Our enemy in this spiritual war is great, pervasive and deceptive, but our weapons are greater. So test everything with trust in the truth about Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, and in the word God has spoken, knowing ultimately that the outcome of this spiritual war is sure. It's sure. So here's the beauty based on all we've seen when we wage spiritual war in our lives every day. So Christian, please hear this. We are not ultimately trying to win because Jesus has already won. So if you're a... If you're visiting with us today or maybe exploring Christianity, here's the big picture that we celebrate every single week we gather together, why we come together. There's one true supernatural God who created all of us and all of us have turned aside from God to our own ways instead of his ways. We have all sinned against God and we are separated from him as a result and The penalty for our sin against him is death. Physical death and eternal spiritual death because he is a good, just, and holy God. Yet God has not left us alone in our sinfulness. He has come to us in the person of Jesus, God in the flesh, who has done what no one else has ever done or could ever do. He has lived a life we could not live, a life of perfect obedience to God. He never once gave in to the temptation to sin. Not once. Then, though he had no sin for which to die, he chose to die. When he went to the cross, he chose to pay the price of sin that we all deserve. He died for us in our place as our substitute. What was happening physically on the cross was a representation of a much deeper spiritual reality. Jesus was taking the judgment you and I are due in our sin upon himself. He did that in love for us. And then the good news keeps getting better because he didn't stay dead for long. Three days later, he rose from the grave having defeated sin and death. So now eternal life is available to anyone, including you today, anyone, anywhere, in any of our campuses, anywhere in the world who today decides to put their faith in Jesus, to ask God to forgive you of your sins solely through trusting in what Jesus has done for you as Savior and Lord of your life. You put your faith in Jesus, he will forgive you of all your sin and restore you to relationship with him forever. So this, this, is the, this is the big picture story. So when you realize that story, you realize, wait a second. Spiritual warfare, the enemy has already been defeated. And he will be destroyed. So this means, so when you are a Christian, when you put your faith in Jesus, you know, brothers and sisters, we are not fighting for victory. Like, th- think of Elisha, In 2 Kings, God is saying to us today, open your eyes to the reality around you. Look around you and look within you. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So you're in a spiritual war every day in your home, in your workplace, in your every word, your every desire, your every thought. 
So in this war, Christian, trust in the truth about Jesus. Trust in the power of God's spirit. Trust in the word God has spoken to you and me. And know this week in all of your battles with temptation and in all of your struggles with trials, we are not fighting for victory. We are fighting from victory. And there's a big difference because we know the end of this war is already set. Revelation chapter 12, verse nine through 11, listen to this. The great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for they loved not their lives even unto to death. Oh, one day Jesus is coming back. He's going to hurl the adversary and all his deceptions before us and accusations against us into an abyss. And we are going to live with the one true supernatural God, free from sin and suffering and death for all of eternity. Live with that confidence. It's wartime now, but peacetime is coming. Peacetime is coming, so God help us to fight spiritual battle with faith from this day until that. Let's pray. Jesus, we praise you as the king who has conquered sin and death and has made eternal life possible for us now and forever. So Jesus, we believe this about you. God, I pray, I pray that even now, in these moments, there might be some, might be many who believe in you, who have not believed in you before. God, I pray your spirit would open eyes to the truth and the love of Jesus. People would put their trust in you even right now. And that all who have put their trust in you would know that greater is he who is in them than he who is in the world. And they would live, we would live out of the overflow of the victory you have given us. In the midst of temptation, in the midst of trials, you would give us trust in you. You would guard us from deception, discouragement, and you'd help us to trust in your son, your spirit, and the words you've spoken. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us today on Radical with David Platt. Often, whenever we think of church in America, we typically think of going to meet in a building, singing, praying, or hearing a message from a pastor. But in many places around the world, believers meet in secret because it's dangerous. So when they do come together, they want to make the most of their time in a way that is different than what you and I often used to. A little over 10 years ago, David Platt spent time teaching through the Bible with one of these underground or secret churches, and he was forever changed. When he returned to the States, 
he started a unique gathering called Secret Church. The Secret Church is our version of that same gathering, where we meet for an intense time of Bible study and prayer for our brothers and sisters around the world who are facing persecution. The Secret Church is not for the uncommitted or the faint of heart. If you want to know God more deeply through His Word and know His church more fully around the world, then Secret Church is designed for you. It's not just to come and learn for a one-night event, but the goal is to pray together, to study the Word together, and then to use what we've learned during that gathering to make disciples of Jesus more faithfully right where we live and then wherever God may lead us around the world, maybe even to places where it's difficult and dangerous to share the gospel. Secret Church 19 registration is open now, and so we invite you to head over to secretchurch.org to join in. You can join us in person in Washington, D.C., or join the tens of thousands literally around the world through the live simulcast experience. Again, you can learn more about Secret Church 19 and register at secretchurch.org. We hope you will join us. I'm your host, Thomas Bowen, and until next time, join us at Radical.net.